there's no reason why you don't know the technique of shooting or lighting and um, coloring nowadays because there's so much information out there and you just have to do the work. Hey everyone, you're listening to the 2M Creative Labs podcast. On this episode, we have Quan Long, a Vietnamese cinematographer and colorist living in Winnipeg. We talk about what makes something cinematic, how color and film can communicate different story components, and what sets DSLRs and cinema cameras apart. Enjoy the episode. Um, okay. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks again for tuning into another episode of the podcast. And just to get us started, why don't we have our guests introduce themselves, who you are, and what do you do? Hey, um, I'm Quan. I'm a uh, cinematographer and uh, a colorist in Winnipeg. I'm from Vietnam and uh, yeah, I work in uh, film, television, and uh, commercials and documentary in Winnipeg. Super sick. Yeah. So the introduction I had from first of all, actually, thanks for coming in and yeah, making no. it. Um, I know you've got a super busy schedule, but oh, the first thing that uh, we got was I was told you pretty much do a lot of the short films in the city, um, getting involved in a lot of the color. And stuff, but I guess first of all, how'd you kind of get started into film cinematography, being a colorist? Um, it goes back to when I was twelve, and uh, back when I uh, when YouTube had a lot of sketches like uh, um, the Dominic Show, uh, Niga Higa, um, and a bunch of those things, and um, I was really fascinated, and I wanted to be a YouTuber, so I paired up with a friend and. Um, I just found myself behind the camera all the time, but I didn't want to uh, be in front of the camera at all. So that's where I first found my uh, love for filmmaking. And then I that jumped into like making some stupid short films um, when you're like 13, whatever. I can relate to that. Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> same as you, I kind of grew up and thought that this is lame and I should focus on uh, something that actually makes money because um, I was still in Vietnam and all of my family was engineers. Um, so I was like, ah, maybe I should do engineer. And then I moved here, not being able to do physics because it was so hard. Right? <laughs> it was like a mixture of calculation and translating in my head because I wasn't as good in English now four years later. And um, yeah, no, I, I called my mom. I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this, mom. I'm going to do film because that's what I really like. And then she just made sure, she just had to make sure like, I knew what I was doing and how people make money in this. And I kind of answered like, whatever, like, oh, people do this, people make wedding videos. I didn't really know like how people make money in the scene. Um, I just answered and my mom was like super supportive. And then, yeah, that's how I jumped into film. And then I was, I started making a lot of freelance videos. I would just reach out to people, um, especially events back then. I would be like, hey, I saw, I see you're having an event coming up, which you want a free video. And then after like three, four, and then I start charging a hundred bucks, 200 bucks for that. But at the same time, I would roam around the exchange district all the time and take pictures of buildings and streets because uh, I'm really into street photography. And I saw a flyer of a workshop in uh, the Winnipeg Film Group. And uh, yeah, it was a eight, 10 weeks workshop where uh, people, bring in other uh, filmmakers in town from different departments in film, like uh, a writer, a director, an editor, a uh, camera guy, and like the list goes on. Mm -hmm. So I took that, super interested. I wanted to become an editor at first, and then I saw my mentor, Marcus, walked in as a cinematographer, and he started setting up lights and cameras, and I was like, whoa, this is great. I'm so fascinated. So after that workshop, 
um, I reached out and I was like, hey, if you ever need someone to help, I would love to shadow you on set one day. And um, it turns out a week after he had a, they had a music video shoot and that was my first set ever. They taught me how to set up a light on the light stand, how to set up a C stand and whatever. And then, yeah, that just, I showed up on that for three days. I did everything. Um, they taught me after every set, you have to go for a drink. So I still do that now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a year later, they started making their feature film shot on 16 millimeter film. It was over the course of six months, um, just in weekends. And then, yeah, I just kept showing up and helping up. And mm -hmm. Now they're my closest friends. That's so cool. Yeah. I love the fact that, you know, because it's very rem reminiscent to me, like, you know, starting out from YouTube, it's like, oh, as you mentioned, you know, yeah. Niga Higa, and like, for me, it was like, Wong Fu was making all of these films, and I was like, that looks so fun. And then I asked my friends, like, hey, let's let's go shoot a video, and then, but never really seeing what that would look like as a career. Yeah, it's, uh, we're in a different generation than my mentors. They, they came up through shooting on tape and Mini DV and VHS and um, shooting a lot of skate videos and us we came through came up through YouTube and mm -hmm. DSLRs and seeing all those guys make skits that they love you know that's our whole inspiration maybe the future will come up from TikTok you know you never know <laughs> I believe that's actually yeah. going to yeah. be a thing it's crazy that thing yeah. is have you been using it a no, little bit I, now I haven't, yeah. you know. that's something that we've been trying to play around with. it's nice to kind of get people into video through something that is simple i do think that it's a great outlet for people though yeah i i find uh, insta story is my outlet just because i it's quick and dirty and you can just practice filming or telling a story um to a certain degree and taking pictures you know yeah. it's same thing with tiktok and vine mm -hmm. that's cool um so you're everything i guess when you mentioned like you do cinematography now you're an editor you're a colorist what is, do you think that's something that's super important for filmmakers to be able to know everything or should you specialize in one thing? What do you feel about that? I definitely think when you're starting out, you should try to know everything as best as you can. So I, my first job was at a, uh, a media company in town called Prolex Media. Um, they do a lot of car stuff now, but back then um, they did, they started out making uh, real estate videos, super small ones, quick turnaround time. Like they would shoot and two days later, they would have to like, you know, mm -hmm. deliver. So I started out as an editor for them and I would just like edit photos and videos all the time. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. <laughs> so, so much work. And um, yeah, so I, but I always knew that I wanted to uh, shoot. Mm -hmm. So a few months later, I jumped up to shooting and we start shooting more corporate videos and smaller commercials and but working there like as the project gets bigger I had to do more and more and more like come up with ideas myself um, schedule everything get background people shoot light you know edit everything from start to finish I was their main video guy and um, that made me realize that I don't want to do everything um, it was just too much I I, I have a deep love for cinematography and shooting and lighting and i don't even edit as much anymore because it just feels like um it's not my thing i love coloring i yeah in the end i'm a visual guy i love making pretty images both in shooting and lighting and in post-production as well mm -hmm. so i've been focusing more on that but yeah i started out i i tried i dipped my toe on everything 
wedding videos i did a couple i was like oh this is too much work <laughs> <laughs> too much stress and then um you know corporate videos music videos had to do everything by myself one man band or get a couple friends to help and um yeah like the first few jobs that i have great jobs to learn um after during prolex was also a part-time gig at pizza hotline as their video guy and there it's kind of like you're your own department you know yeah. you have to do everything as well so I was like, uh, I hate this. Right, yeah. And, yeah. and during that, oh, that was a busy time in my life. Not making <laughs> that much money yeah. for how much I worked. Yeah, Prolex, that was freelance. Pizza Hotline was also part-time freelance-ish in the summer. And then I was also helping a friend make a feature documentary on hip-hop dance, our scene, um, which led to a bunch of CBC docs now. But back then, it was whole, a whole year of us working for free, making a feature-length doc. Yeah, that took me to Toronto for like a shoot, and that was awesome. But That's so sick. Yeah, it was just me and him, and he was like the contact guy. The he was the director, comes up with idea and stuff. But I was all the technical stuff, right? So mm -hmm. again, having to do so many things, and after that period, I was like, I don't want to edit anymore. I after cutting <laughs> that, I was like, ah, oh. I, bur I burned myself out, and I was like. Yeah, mm -hmm. not just focus on certain things yeah. that I really like and enjoy. That's really cool. I think for somebody like me going through all of you know the production of everything, it's yeah, like as the scale kind of gets bigger, it's incredibly overwhelming. Um, I always thought like you know when it comes to post production, it's like you're doing editing, you're doing coloring, you're doing all the sound design and everything, but that isn't always sustainable. The more projects you have to take on, I guess. Yeah, but it's nice to have all of that in your back in the back of your head to understand like what's gonna get next. For sure, because it helps you to become a better filmmaker in general. Mm -hmm. But let's say you want to direct, you gotta shoot, you gotta know what's needed in the edit, right? Like, yeah. how much footage do you need? How much B-roll do you need? You know, mm -hmm. to to do that, you must have edited already, or coloring and cinematography goes very well together because. When I shoot, I see this window here and I know like I can bring it down in post and it's not super overexposed or... Thank God. Yeah, yeah no, I, I checked already. I swear but, it shoots in log. But the uh, sun might go, so... Yeah, that's the one thing I noticed too is like when the podcasts go for a while, it's like all the lighting changes yeah. at the back, but... Yeah, no, it's fine. You can't do anything with that. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I... Uh, uh, knowing how to color really separated me from other shooters, I think. Mm -hmm. In yeah. a good way, I think. Yeah, I can tell because like, like I've seen your street photos and like I've seen the stills that you have from oh, and some of the stills are just so sick. Like, <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, like it is something that separates your film from a lot of other filmmakers is that sort of color. Yeah. Um, it's something I'm trying to figure out in terms of my own stuff, too, is like coloring, um, I guess. Maybe talk a little bit more about being a colorist. Like, where do the looks kind of come from? What inspires them? Well, you have to kind of watch a lot of movies, I guess. Um, and also follow companies online who are doing it in the bigger scale. I guess just to see how people are doing it out there and, um, you know, what looks good to the public or mm -hmm. what you think looks good. And um, companies like Company3, that's an Instagram uh, handle, they do all the features that you see out there, like everything. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even tell. If you look on their website, everything that you see in the theaters, they do. Um, Company three, Art Jail in Toronto, uh, Cheat, 
um, that's another company in the UK. So they did the end of the fucking world on Netflix, which is I think the best looking thing ever. Um, or the latest, uh, I'm not okay with this on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Another great looking show. Um, but yeah, I, I watch a lot of um, references and movies mm-hmm. just to know what looks good and if it's a scary film what it looks like if it's a romance romance then what it looks like and i think it's important for cinematographers and colorists to do that work that um, research or spend the whole year or two years and continue doing it to look into you know what looks good and uh, what people do out there and try to imitate it at first before you find your style or yeah the people uh, put an emphasis on it but i think um yeah you gotta do your research first and um know all the techniques and you know there's no reason why you don't know the technique of shooting or lighting and um coloring nowadays because there's so much information out there and you just have to do the work gotta do a lot of research i think absolutely to, you know I'm glad that I'm glad that there's an excuse now for me to watch a lot more Netflix in my life yeah, <laughs> and a lot more movies in my life because yeah. really like yeah like I remember I think when I was reading through a lot of your posts it's like you know this was kind of inspired by these sorts of films and to start imitating those and then eventually figuring out like how you would do or how you would bring that sort of emotion in the same in a style that is very unique yeah no I yeah. when I first started I definitely look for references more now i uh, don't do it as much but if i get a weird project like my recent doc that i colored and shot second unit was um, a doc about nazis and how they um, back in the days they uh, essentially rescued some mennonites from uh, russia Mm -hmm. and brought them over to paraguay and canada I don't know how accurate I'm talking, but I think, yeah, I remember that was the case. And, um, yeah, like nowadays you don't, you rarely get the chance to grade footage that looks like that era, right? Or like, you know, the 1940s or 1950s. So Mm -hmm. that's when you have to go up and look for references. Um, and for that, I kind of, I just finished watching Jojo Rabbit and I was like, oh, this is how was that actually the same thing yeah best movie actually yeah Yeah, it seemed like it was a good movie i I loved it it so i loved it so much (laughs) uh, recently that thing went up to my top list for sure whoa the top of my list yeah i I gotta go see it no it it looks amazing but i remember seeing you referencing it for color i was like that's that's super cool because it is around that era and Yeah. yeah no for sure it's definitely one of the better movies look wise and story wise yeah you find that it actually affects how you like judge movies um and like just experience them is you get that sort of like oh that's out of focus or whatever <laughs> yeah no i uh for the longest time i was like oh no i can't enjoy a movie um like a regular person anymore yeah because you would focus on okay i see what they're doing here like jojo rabbit suddenly goes into colder and i was like oh they're um signaling the passing of time because um the beginning is warm and then it gets cold uh, which means it's winter uh, or it's sad because that's before like a super sad scene and i don't want to spoil it for anyone for the longest time i was upset because i was like oh now i always focus about lighting and how there's no contrast on someone's face sometimes but once in a while i come across movies like parasite just won the uh, best academy award for best picture and um yeah movies like that you kind of forget about the technicality of 
filmmaking because the story was so good and I was mm -hmm. sitting there watching it for um, you know I was focusing on the movie so much that I don't even think about that's so uh, cool. the cinematography anymore and that rarely happens to me like you know that's insane mm -hmm. or La La Land Very I love good. La La Land yeah, yeah yeah I cried watching that the first time and that's like a good thing because um, you know I didn't care about the cinematography as much also I was way younger and didn't know as much but yeah the second the third time watching it I start to notice lighting and mm -hmm. uh, camera work more but at first I was like whoa great story yeah but yeah I'm not gonna rave about La La Land in this movie yeah no, <laughs> I, I, I could go all yeah. day my friends always make fun of me they would make uh, memes like oh, watch any other movies La La Land and it's like Quan always chooses La La Land <laughs> <laughs> I guess coming from a lot of short films and documentaries, what makes something cinematic? This is such an interesting term. And it's interesting that you say I'm, I came from short films because I haven't done a lot of short films myself, actually. Um, that's something that I want to get more into, and I'm getting more into this year for sure. Tons of great opportunities. People start to know me more as a shooter in mm -hmm. town, and they've been hiring me to shoot their shorts so much. But yeah, before December, um, like before like three months ago, I've never done a short film that's like myself as a cinematographer. I help on other people's stuff, but yeah, mm -hmm. haven't really done myself. Right. Uh, but now I'm getting more and more into it, and I think. For the longest time, I was afraid. I was like thinking I, I wasn't good enough to con convey a short film or shoot a short and tell the right story. But now I think I'm I'm finally ready. Um, nice. But yeah, back to your question: what what is cinema? Cinema cinematic. cinematic. I think the the thing that separates the standard answer online would be uh, if it tells a story, then mm -hmm. the shot is cinematic. But the thing that separates home videos and um, film for me is uh, lighting and coloring, I think. Mm -hmm. That's super uh, narcissistic of me, but I, <laughs> I think it's, it's true. Like when you look at someone who doesn't know how to color, you can see like it's, you know, it's different. Mm -hmm. You can see that it's not really film. And um, that can just be a simple step. So like if I think about it, I just know like a couple of tricks that can change it right away um, to make it more like film. Um, but lighting for sure, like, you know, you can't just show up and shoot, but sometimes it works. Like sometimes documentaries, you just show up and shoot and then you know how to grade, you know how to expose it, then it looks good right away. And I think the tip that I learned that really changed my, you know, you know, like how you go through your um, uh, journey and there's little things that you learn and you instantly get to that next level right away. Like I see, you know how to set the shutter speed, shutter speed to like twice your frame rate and mm -hmm. i think when i first found out about it i was like whoa this is insane i've never <laughs> been doing this because i came from photography and i was always just cranking it the, yeah, yeah shutter speed to like 1 250 or something and as soon as i found out about the uh, uh 180 degree degrees rule i was like wow like I'm a filmmaker, <laughs> um, but yeah, shutter speed and then you know, mm -hmm. shooting on the dark side. I when I found that out, instantly make it better. Now it's like harder to find things that makes you have that huge jump. Yeah, um, it's a slow, slow progress now. Um, but yeah, like just knowing that you're lighting from this side and you're shooting from the other side. Uh, the darker side instantly makes your footage better and um, you know yes I'm doing, I, some, I'm doing some shit right over here no, I, I saw I saw yeah and uh, I'm surprised some people still don't do it as, mm -hmm. 
shooters, but you know, yeah, to each their own. Yeah. <clears throat> well, another thing too is like concepts like you know better lighting and even just the 180 degree rule. Like those are the big things that, like even for me personally, like noticing like I'm starting to set up more lights here. It's like oh yeah, like it makes things so much better. For and, sure. And it's it's a huge jump, right? But as you do get better, there's like very little. Yeah, and I think tools nowadays they're great. Like. Back then, if you have to get a stable shot, you have to bring a dolly out and like mm -hmm. steady cam and everything. And now it's great that people has insane small tools like stabilizations. But you know, mm -hmm. um, I find people get lost in that super quick. Yeah. And I was one of the first people to buy a gimbal around here. I think I don't know. I maybe I didn't know as many people back then. But mm -hmm. I when I bought it. Like four years ago, I don't think gimbals were that big yet. Yeah, I bought the Zhiyun Green yeah, one, the and first one. Yeah, that was like one of the first gimbals around, and that got me a lot of work. Like I constantly, everything <laughs> I shot was on a gimbal, and we all go through that phase. Nowadays, I don't even use gimbals anymore. I love shoulder rigs. Mm -hmm. Very rarely do I use my gimbal. Now, if the story calls for it, because I'm on bigger projects now, if the story calls for it, I'm, I'll bring out a dolly, and I have my friend who does Steadicam, and you know, that's when you can really configure like bigger camera setups, right? Because yeah. now it's hard for me to fit my camera on freaking gimbal now. Yeah, I can't imagine being able to fit something like an Ari on a crane, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I don't shoot on an Ari. Yeah. But, uh, not no. yet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like gigs they, that I get mm -hmm. nowadays still use a one hand gimbal for sure the commercial that i'm on right now um three days shoot i finished two days already for tourism winnipeg so uh like... pocket 6k and a uh, ronin s you know still running around with a gimbal all yeah, day yeah, yeah. yeah two cameras you know but so cool people still do that mm -hmm. all the time for sure but now i have my pocket camera and i'm like oh, it's all good <laughs> <laughs> nice best recommendation for everyone buy a pocket camera i'm sorry i'm starting to look to see if i'm going to get some sort of a cinema camera or keep sticking to the dslrs but first of all like before we jump into camera gear because there's a question on that yeah, like sure. it's nice to hear you know like i don't own a gimbal and it's always cool when people tell me like oh like was that shot on the gimbal it's like no like it's literally just you know me walking and keeping it steady um there are little tricks that make it more stable but yeah like having having lots of cool tools now to i guess like get that big jump is nice um but then comes the actual thinking process of like lighting and understanding those little techniques mm -hmm. um yeah like if you know what you have and you know like if i let's say i'm on handheld or like on a i'm using a top handle on the camera i would know not to walk 20 steps for my shot you know i would just lean side to side or like mm -hmm. lean forward or something you know you got to know what you have and what you can do with it um i think that helps a lot yeah yeah you don't need to always do a tracking shot right absolutely um, if you have the tool go for it but if you don't you know don't go for it <laughs> and that kind of <laughs> helps hide what you don't have for sure mm -hmm. yeah um i guess so DSLRs are now like in insane and comparing them, I've never held a cinema camera, but what do you feel is a difference that makes it, I guess, what sets them apart? Like, is there, why is it that people use cinema cameras for uh, more cinematic looks? Yeah. Um, just kind of your thoughts on DSLR versus cinema cameras. I think uh, DSLRs are great and a lot of people still use it. And now there's a thing in between them. Like, let's say there's like the Canon 
T5i, which I started with, and then you know jumping to the A7S2, which is the higher higher range higher range of the uh, DSLR whole thing, and then there's the Blackmagic Pocket cameras, which I think is a step higher than the A7S2 in terms of usability and um, dynamic range and stuff like that. Like that's what people talk about all the time on the internet. But I think what sets the professional gear, even with the uh, pocket cameras, is the uh, durability. The it's reliable. You you're on set and it will never fall on you. You know, like mm-hmm. I was shooting that tourism Winnipeg thing and my pocket 4K or th- their pocket 4K uh, mid cans kept breaking down um, uh, during the shoots and that's embarrassing in front of like the client and yeah. the producer and I was like, oh no, like what's happening? Nowadays I'm not freaking out anymore. Like you know, like I can fix it, but let's say if you're like just starting out and that happens in, in front of a huge client like that if you freak out then that's game over right mm-hmm. um, so just being able to have something that you can rely on for sure that's a big thing that i realized recently and also in terms of image quality um higher bit rate makes it just looks better and if you shoot log versus if you shoot rec 9 or video you can see the difference in post. If you know how to shoot and know how to expose, it doesn't matter if you're shooting raw or no raw, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a tool in the end. But yeah, yeah no, the usability, uh, reliable, and um, that dynamic range sets it apart. I, I still find it way nicer to look at those cinema camera. And um, like people say gear don't matter, but... When I took the workshop in Toronto, I, they, they had an Alexa Mini t- for us to play with. And I turned it on and we were under a fluorescent light room. And I was like, this is so unfair. It looks good already, you know? Because like, we, we use the biggest lenses, like Cook S5s. And that's what they use to shoot the biggest films out there uh, with the Alexa Mini. And I was like, Jesus, like, mm-hmm. this is amazing already. Yeah. Um, so gear does matter, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I think it's cool that, you know, there's, we'll always probably go back to things like lighting and knowing how to frame your shots better, mm-hmm. things that you can do regardless of what gear you have. But there is, it's also nice to hear that, yeah, like, you know, I could upgrade and, you know, I will see another one of those huge jumps in quality that came with things like learning the 180 degree uh, mm-hmm. rule or how to light better as well. Um, <laughs> you should try to get your hands on the FS7. Mm-hmm. I'd say that'll be the first big jump you see like the yeah. fs7 is still a super popular camera and the film group has it for 80 bucks a day or 60 Whoa. a day or something like that before owning my camera i would always rent that camera to um uh go out and shoot my little docs and stuff but yeah no fs7 no no complaints uh midcan has a bunch of big cameras the fx9 they just bought and the uh red helium 8k for like 600 bucks a day which is a lot of money that's a lot of money yeah no. yeah fs7 though yeah people rent that every day it's so hard for me to drop out of canon because i'm such a huge fanboy for how it looks but you should <laughs> i was like yes but the c500 you know <laughs> no definitely not the c line mm-hmm. I, I yeah hate, i hate that stuff interesting yeah. it's nice and like you know compact but once you've shot with all the cameras you see right away or once you touch the footage you know it looks so cheap on those cameras for some reason interesting yeah, i don't know it's nice for dock work because mm-hmm. it's so compact and yeah ready to go but if i had a choice i would go with the fs7 any day 
Got it. Yeah. yeah. Noted. I need to try that. Maybe I'll take a day to just shoot some stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. FS7 at the film group. Mm-hmm. My, uh, yeah, I recommend that all the time. Got it. Um, so coming from being inspired by YouTube and now to be making commercials and short films, hopefully more in the future, what do you think is the difference between making something for a short film versus something like a YouTube video? What sort of processes sort of change or maybe even just your, th- yeah, like your thought process. And I don't that. think I've made a lot of YouTube videos. Cause uh, it's, YouTube is blurring the line for, there's, yeah. there's some crazy well, things that go sure. out now that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I guess it can go as far as you want. Like you can make a short and post it to YouTube, but you know, like technicality, there's a lot of things like you have to do like broadcast saved and like, you know, right. Different yeah. kind of, uh, exports you have to do, but that's just the technical side. Um, but I'm sure you want to know more about the process. I think it's probably the same thing I'd say. Uh, depends on how much you care about the project. Like I'm, I have a short coming up next weekend that I care about so much to the, with a friend of mine now, but she reached out in January and she said she has this funding from Gimli Film Fest and she wants to make a short. And uh, we did so much together already in terms of prep. Like we went through the scripts, we storyboarded everything, you know, we designed everything. I made all the lighting diagrams already. You know, stuff like that you don't really do for YouTube videos, I think. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe I don't care enough, but if people do care enough about YouTube stuff, maybe they'll do that too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's just as far as you want to go, like how much you care about your project that you're shooting. And sometimes you just got to you know, show up and you know, shoot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just how things are. <laughs> I like that though, because yeah, like you definitely can do the same sort of process that you did for the short film for just something that will... You know, somebody will watch online and, you know, think nothing of it, but maybe that'll be the video that makes them think more. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. If it blows up, then great. <laughs> I, I haven't found a project that I care about as much as this coming up one. So cool. I, uh, I know what you mean. Like I've created short films. That's like YouTube videos too. I would like show up and, you know, light the scene. I didn't really, you know, uh, look much into it, but mm-hmm. when you actually put the prep work in, it will be way better, I think interesting yeah what makes you unique as a filmmaker as a cinematographer as a colorist Mm, gotta think about that um being able to see things with a fresh eye i'm still pretty new here i've been here for like three and a half years winnipeg so that kind of sets me apart a bit and also being a i don't want to assume but i I think i'm a pretty likable guy uh to be around (laughs) and um that kind of helps like you know you can either be super good and an asshole or, you know, not as good um, at a likable guy and people want to have you around. And as a cinematographer, let's say I'm competing with people twice or three times my age, you know, like that's a, for a better word, for lack of a better word, um, white man, middle-aged white man's game. Yeah. Like a lot of people here are 40, 50 and speak French, you know, like that's hard to compete with. And been in the, the industry as long as I'm, you know, been alive. Um, so just being able to make producers like you and show up and you know, do prep work, even though you're sometimes you're not paid to do the prep stuff, and you know always be on time and be on the ball. You know, I think that kind of helps me a bit. And in terms of quality wise, I think being about a color definitely sets me apart as a shooter for sure. Um, and always, always constantly looking for references and 
different techniques. Every week I listen to two, three podcasts, same, same podcast, but a lot of episodes and information that that podcast put out there. The wandering, the wandering DP podcast, best cinematography podcast out there. But yeah, no, I listen to that every week, two, three episodes. That's like four hours a week on just, you know, focusing on learning and, um, great like i learned most of it on there mm-hmm. and i still talk about film so i talk about film too much in my life and i think that kind of helps me like grow faster but also it's not that good to always talk about one thing mm-hmm. i'm sure my friends are bored of me but yeah <laughs> no i my life is film and um, i don't separate my work from my life um that's like the same thing the line is really blurred um and i think that helps me move up faster Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure that's awesome yeah to be able to do all of that pretty much every day and like live and breathe and listen to podcasts about film all the time uh what keeps you motivated to keep doing that oh i think i um i just love it so much i think that helps a lot um but also like knowing what you're chasing i guess like your goal will always change every 10 minutes i guess but um I know I want to be a cinematographer, like working full time. Well, I am working full time in film now or making a living full time. Um, but, you know, to be only doing cinematography, it's hard, like, especially in Winnipeg, because it's, it's hard for people to do one thing here. So I still color and, um, you know, crew sometimes and produce my own stuff because you have to mm-hmm. in Winnipeg. Like, oh, those CBC docs I do as, you know, I, reach out to people and you know say hey i want to pitch something um with a friend but yeah like you have to love it so much and you got to know what you're fighting for what you're working towards that helps a lot i'm a really list oriented guy i write down a goal for the year or a five-year goal like i've been doing that for three years now really helps a lot i think i don't look at it every day i would like yeah uh you know sometimes look into um the list and see okay this year how much i've how much i've done and uh how much i've uh achieved i think that really helps a lot to mm-hmm. keep you going but um yeah no it, it's hard sometimes i think it's a very bipolar um, <laughs> industry i'm sure you know it yeah uh, everyone knows and it's good to talk to other filmmakers and other camera guys other creatives um to see that they're going through the same thing and you're not alone um that kind of helps a lot um like just a couple months ago, I was super depressed. I was thinking, I think that was like the new year time where I felt, I felt like oh, no one's hiring me to shoot. My life is over. Uh, my career is over and I'm s- still super young. And it's like, it feels like I'm stuck. But then a month later, people start hiring me to shoot. And I've, um, today is my work, first day off after um, 20 days working straight. And I was like, oh, God. It feels so good to be busy, but also like tiring, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a hard industry, but I love it. Nice, I, I love that. that. Helps. Yeah, definitely, it definitely does. Like when you're really into it, right? Like yeah. even those really low points, it's it kind of keeps you pushing. That love for mm-hmm. just creating something, making something look really good, and making somebody, you know, or helping somebody evoke an emotion that might not necessarily have been off uh, experience. You know, yeah, that's for cool. Sure. And yeah, I guess just to kind of wrap things up, how can we find and support you and your work? Uh, well, my Instagram is it's Kwani. Uh, I'm sure, or if you type my name in, I'm sure it'll pop up Kwan Q U A N and um, Luang 
L-U-O-N-G. That's my Instagram. And then same thing as my website, kuanglong.com. But yeah, no, uh, more stuff are coming out, I hope. And uh, I'm posting a CBC thing very soon next next month or this month. So yeah, find out or stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> not too, I'm not going to say this. That's okay. <laughs> no, thanks for having me and uh, it's a great setup you have. And I hope you get more... Um, talented people way more talented than me to uh, go up here and share their journey because it is a great um, learning resource I think for me when I listen to podcasts that wondering DP podcast thing I'd say I learned like 70% or 80% of everything on there um, and they have a great mix of technical and like how people get into the industry and when I first started I definitely focused more on the, the episodes where they break down the setups and like you know everything but now as i know the technicality already kind of um i focus more on how people get into things and you know that's also very important like how do you jump to the next level and how do you start Mm -hmm. or how do you become a cinematographer a colorist or whatever so podcasts like these are amazing and it helps uh, a lot of younger people to learn i'm sure Damn, thanks so much. That, yeah, that no. means so much. No, it's like, sure. you know, like, from telling me like, yeah, the setup's really good. And then to be saying, yeah, you know, it's really valuable for creatives to see how others have gone into what they're doing now and like how they can also get into that is. No, yeah, for, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I think it's great to know others' process and workflow and life story. Um, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure like you'll get even more better people on here damn all right yeah that's dope thanks so much for doing this quan i really appreciate it thanks for having me great thanks again for listening to the episode consider giving us a rating on itunes and subscribing or following the podcast if you found this valuable to your creative pursuits share this episode with your friends and let us know on instagram at 2m creative labs we want to hear from you and how this episode helped you out and we'll see you in the next one